Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap for February 2nd. Hope you're doing well. Trying to stay warm. It's going to get real cold here in Wisconsin. Going to be a chilly Super Bowl weekend. Uh, Puxtani Phil saw a shadow for six more weeks of winter. For those playing at home, I do not know what the Wisconsin Groundhog saw. If he is in Milwaukee, it's pretty cloudy today, so it's a good chance we could get an early spring, but I highly doubt it. All right, enough enough Groundhog talk. Let's talk sports. We are going to wonder if the Green Bay Packers were wrong about Aaron Rodgers. We'll get into that based on the comments of Brian Gunacoust and Matt LaFleur. We're going to also talk about the Milwaukee Bucks playing a little pissed off last night and how that makes me happy as a Bucks fan, and we'll get into that um, as round two. And then lastly, we'll talk about why I just don't seem to care about Marquette basketball and why that's probably a pro- probably an issue for the Marquette Golden Eagles. But let's start, I wouldn't say happy, but let's start on the Aaron Rodgers side of things to begin the show today. So Aaron Rodgers got probably the reassurance he was looking for uh, with Brian Gunacoust and Matt LaFleur's comments yesterday to the Green Bay Milwaukee media, where they basically said, look, we think Aaron Rodgers is going to be here long term. Brian Gunacoust and Matt LaFleur did not give any nuggets that they would be looking to trade Aaron Rodgers or that it would be a lame duck year for the, the MVP, which he will likely get on Saturday night when they do have the NFL honors. So I do not think that Aaron Rodgers is going to leave Green Bay. I know ESPN, Fox, all of those people want that to happen. That is a great storyline to chase. Uh, I heard today that first take was like, what's next for Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott's future? It is the NBA-fication of the NFL. Like that, Every storyline for the NFL right now is being made into an NBA-like story because they know that's what puts asses in the seats on you know, stories that are after the season. And that they know that that's how you drive engagement, how you drive clicks, how you drive people to listen, how you drive people to view. That is what brings people in, the drama. You know, why do you think the whole courtside Karen thing with LeBron James is such a big deal? Because it's drama. People fucking love that shit. Like, that's just just life, man. That's how it goes. But aside from all of that, it, Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer next year. And I think Aaron Rodgers is not only going to be a Packer next year, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer for a long time, beyond next year. And I'm starting to wonder if... Gunacoust and LaFleur, more so Gunacoust and Murphy maybe, were wrong about Aaron Rodgers. I think the reason that that Jordan Love was drafted is because they thought Aaron Rodgers was on a decline. Even though there were some stats to support that, yeah, drop passes were an issue in 2018 and in 2019, still that Rodgers was not the same quarterback, that he just wasn't the same guy, that he might not have given a shit, that it just sort of looked like Aaron Rodgers was going through the motions. So the Packers decided, all right, well, we are starting to hit the diminishing of return We are going to go draft Jordan Love because we want to be ready for the next guy. And you if you read Ty Dunn's piece on Jordan Love, which is great, um, about sort of the Packers have a plan and they have what they wanted to do. And now Dunn wrote this in the middle of the season. So as you know, Rodgers was cooking; he was playing really well, but we we didn't necessarily know what that end game was. 
And with Dunn's piece, it was like people view, you know, he had teammates compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Like a lot of people like Jordan Love. A lot of people think Jordan Love has what it takes. But we are not in the NFL of 2007 where Brett Favre took so many brutal hits. Brett Favre dealt with concussions that he didn't report. You know, he's been open about that in his post-career. Brett Favre wanted to retire. Aaron Rodgers has no sign of retiring. And honestly, Aaron Rodgers could probably play till he's 45 if he wanted to. He looks what Tom Brady's doing. And he's at 43. And Brady seems like he'll play till whenever he's done. Like, Brady's going to play forever, man. And he could play till he's 45, till he's 49. Someone said yesterday in a group chat of mine that he could be the Gordie Howe of the NFL. And I would not put it past Tom Brady. I really wouldn't. And that's just the way the NFL is structured these days where these guys are protected more than ever. It's why Drew Brees was able to continue until this year. Now, Drew Brees finally ran out of gas at 41. And I will say New Orleans has done an okay job of getting themselves ready for whether it's Jameis and Taysom Hill kind of combined next season. They have a little bit of a rebuilding project to do, but not a huge one. And yeah, if they figure out a way to get Deshaun Watson to New Orleans, I doubt that they could. But if they got Deshaun Watson to New Orleans, here we go. Like they're ready and they're set for the next 15 years. But I... I don't necessarily think Aaron Rodgers is done after next year or that I think Aaron Rodgers is starting to decline. I think this version of Aaron Rodgers can exist for a few years. And yeah, if he played pissed off and you trade Jordan Love, does Aaron Rodgers lose his motivation? I don't think so. Like, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers like loses this. Like, I don't think all of a sudden he's like, all right, time to go back on easy street. I think the reason that Aaron Rodgers sort of hit the brakes on his career was influenced by Mike McCarthy. I think Aaron Rodgers was so sick of Mike McCarthy. I think he had enough of what McCarthy was doing in that offense and that Rodgers was just uninterested and he was frustrated and the lack of creativity bothered him. And I think the fact that LaFleur is a high energy guy that's always willing to try shit that is definitely a different cat. And I mean that in a good way. And you also have Nathaniel Hackett there, who Rodgers has a lot of respect for. Luke Getze is his guy. I think the fact that Aaron Rodgers has a coaching staff that is behind him 100% and isn't trying to out-ego him, I think really matters to Rodgers. And I think for Aaron Rodgers, he wants to sort of play for these guys. I don't know if he wanted to play for Mike McCarthy. So combine that with, you know, having a rough first year with Matt LaFleur. And I wouldn't say it was rough. It was rough by Aaron Rodgers' terms. It wasn't rough by a quarterback's term. It still was a top 10 quarterback performance. They looked at Jordan Love and they're like, all right, we got to start looking next next step. And then we'll start. We know in twenty after 2021, like we can trade Aaron Rodgers. Like we have a good, there's a good out. And it always was going to come down to this. Everybody knew that even when Jordan Love was being drafted, that we were going to have two years. 
if the Packers fucked up with Jordan Love, they fucked up. And I think you can sell Jordan Love to a lot of teams. There are teams looking for quarterbacks. There are teams looking for who's the next guy. And they're going to come up short. They're not going to get Deshaun Watson. They're not going to get Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, maybe Mitch Trubisky interests people, but you don't think that you could sell to the New England Patriots that Jordan Love could be your next Tom Brady and maybe get, maybe not a first round pick, but get a second round pick for Jordan Love. You don't think that Bill Belichick, if he likes what he sees out of Jordan Love, that he might not take a risk there. And yeah, you'd have to deal with annoying ass Patriots fans that declare him the next deity and that the Packers gave up on Aaron Rod, the next Aaron Rodgers. But that's the, that's the price you pay. And I think sometimes fans miss that point. And this was my whole point about like regular season doesn't matter with the Bucks. We'll talk about it in a second. Is like you have to understand the consequence. So the consequence of trading Jordan Love is this. That if Jordan Love is great, you cannot complain about it. Because you we've all made this decision. We all decided to stay with Aaron Rodgers. We all pushed our chips in with the older quarterback. It is totally different than what happened with Favre in 2007 because Favre wanted to retire. Favre, Favre wanted out. Favre did retire. It's That's different. That to me is, is always going to be different. And I'm not convinced that if there was an actual owner, that if Arthur Blank or Jerry Jones owned the Packers, that Aaron Rodgers would have been traded and it would have been one of the biggest fucking mistakes of the of NFL history. And who knows who the Packers would have got. I def, I did a what if podcast actually. I did I actually did a podcast on this. And then we deep dived who the Packers could have drafted when Favre actually retired after his Minnesota year. I don't know I did it during the pandemic when it would, there was just no sports. So you can go back and try to find that. If you want me to link it to you and you send me a note on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, I guess, I can definitely link it out. Just uh, just ask for it and I'll be happy to oblige. Because that means that you listen to this and then you want to listen to more. I'm always going to take the extra lesson. So let me know if you want it. I can send it along. But it's a, it was a really good listen on who, where the Packers might have went if they traded Aaron Rodgers. So yes, you can't complain, but to the point of, I just think there are a lot of teams that might have an interest in Jordan Love, because you also have the fact that LaFleur has a big tree. He has roots in in Tennessee. He has roots in San Francisco. He has roots in New York. He has roots in Atlanta. I don't I actually don't know Atlanta. Yeah, Arthur Smith. Like, there are a lot of places where you could look and say, all right, yeah, make this happen. Like, you're not telling me the Falcons could say, all right, we don't want to draft a quarterback at number four. Rather, we'll trade for Jordan Love. We'll trade our second-round pick, and Jordan Love will be our next guy. And then we'll we'll have, you know, we'll get talent around Matt Ryan, maybe make one more run. And then when Ryan's contract is more affordable, we'll deal him. You don't say the Falcons couldn't do that? I could see it, right? So, like, I think Jordan Love is on the trading block. I definitely do. I think Jordan Love is on the trading block, and I think they're going to look to move on. I know Gutekunst is going to get a lot of shit for that. I will defend that that was a good move by him, and the guys around that were drafted were not that good. I know Michael Pittman had some moments. I know T. Higgins had some moments, but I don't really think the receivers were the problem for Green Bay. 
I would look at the at last year's NFL draft and be like, could you have drafted a cornerback? Could you have drafted an interior lineman? Because the receivers weren't the problem. And I know people want to keep making the receivers the problem, but the receivers weren't why the Packers lost that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost it because of Kevin King. They, you know, they lost it because they didn't have an offensive tackle ready to replace David Bakhtiari. So if you review that draft and you look at who they could have had, Noah Mbonghene, I probably mispronounced his name as a corner. They could have had him. He didn't really have a year. I didn't. We didn't hear anything about him. We didn't hear anything from like Jeff Gladney, who's a corner from TCU. He really didn't have a year. Kyle Duggar was great for the Patriots, but the last thing the, the Packers need really is a safety. And there wasn't an off, and Isaiah Wilson was drafted after the Packers, but he was a shithead. He got into so much trouble with COVID, just super immature. So it's not like Isaiah Wilson would have helped the Packers. So if you go down the list, the next offensive tackle that was drafted was Ezra Cleveland, who was on a lot of people's big boards for the Packers at the 58th pick. And Ezra Cleveland wasn't good all season. So, and there were some corners. Yeah, you could have drafted Trayvon Diggs or Jalen Johnson, who both, you know, had impact. Jalen Johnson wasn't that good. But Trayvon Diggs, I think, had some good moments with the Cowboys. So, so like, yeah, you could have drafted a corner instead of Jordan Love. But, again, you thought that maybe Rodgers was done. And now he isn't. And now you say, all right, we're going to go two or three more years and then we will repeat this process again. Because there's nothing wrong with repeating this process. Yeah, it sucks to lose a first round pick. But you know what? Their draft was really fucking good. Josiah DeGura is going to be a player next year. A.J. Dillon was a player. Kamal Martin has a chance to be a star. Chris Barnes' undrafted free agent was really good. John Runyon, going to be a starter next year. So all of these guys are from last year's draft. And so to put last year's draft in a vacuum of it's a complete failure because they drafted Jordan Love, they might trade him next year, is so short-sighted. But it's so typical of Packer fans. So don't be one of those guys. Look at the whole thing. Ignore the noise about that they should have drafted a receiver. And understand that the receiver wasn't the reason the Packers lost to the Buccaneers. We'll see what happens. We know that this is not the end of the story. We know that ESPN will continue to try to fuck this chicken until it, you know, whatever. Until it dies, I guess. Uh, that was morbid. But anyways, I'll continue. But know this. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer for a long time. And he ain't going anywhere. Hit the Wolf of Wall Street gif. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks played the Portland Trailblazers last night. And boy, did they look pissed off. The Milwaukee Bucks delivered the fucking hammer to the Blazers, winning 134 to 106. They had 113 points at the end of three quarters. The Blazers had a pretty good garbage time performance as they were down 113 to 77 at the end of three quarters. The Bucks obviously put the brakes on. After that, let a lot of the, the second unit and the rookies get in, get some time. But it was a dominating performance from the Milwaukee Bucks after two really bad games from from the Bucks, where I think a lot of us were asking questions about, you know, where is what's going on with the Bucks? Like, what's wrong? Like, how can you give up 
that many three-pointers and how can you come out flat in two straight games? The Bucks were hell-bent on not having that happen again and they played with some piss and vinegar and I think that is exactly what every Bucks fan would want right now. And you can say all you want about the regular season doesn't matter. That's been a theme of the Bucks season. But the fact is, is it mattered to these guys. And these guys did not like how the last two games went. And they were determined to sort of be this buzzsaw against the Blazers. Like, if I'm a Blazers fan tonight or today and I'm doing a podcast, I'm saying, look, we ran into an absolute buzzsaw of the Milwaukee Bucks team. I mean, here are the quotes from the Bucks last night. Listen to this from three guys who haven't played for the Bucks only a half a year. This is from Bryn Forbes via Eric Woodyard, who wrote a really good piece on just kind of a good recap piece, uh, better than I could ever do. But Woodyard had this from Forbes. I don't think anyone's happy to be honest with you. The top guys are not used to losing two in a row or having a losing stretch over a few games. I don't think anybody's happy about it, but we got to take it day by day. I think the way everybody's approaching it game by game, we can't win them all back right now, but if we take it back, we take it day by day, we're going to win a lot of games. Obviously, they pounded the Blazers. This was before the game, by the way, that Forbes said that. They pounded the Blazers and now looking ahead to Indiana on Wednesday. You also had this. From Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis. Oh, no. This is DJ Augustine. Let's do DJ Augustine first before Bobby Portis. I love Bobby Portis' comments. But DJ Augustine. It wasn't a good flight back home to Milwaukee. So when you're on a team like this, the atmosphere is a little different. Tonight was a must win for us. And that's how we played. And we came out from the jump. So that's really interesting, right? The Bucks were 11-8. and eight. I mean, the Bucks were third in the East at this point. Is it really a must win? Probably not. Like, you could lose this game. And yeah, we'd all be freaking out. We'd all be losing our mind. But the fact that Milwaukee traded a random-ass Monday non-conference, technically because of Western Conference, non-conference game like a must-win says a lot about this Bucs team. Says a lot about the focus of this Bucs team. And I think that really matters. And I think we should all be really appreciative of that, that... Yeah, we're going to get frustrated and the Bucs are still learning and the Bucs are still going through it, but you have to appreciate the fact that Milwaukee cares enough to not just lay down, not say, oh, well, we lost two straight, God, ball's rolling downhill. They're like, no, fuck this. We're winning this game and we are riding this ship immediately. And to Bryn Forbes' point about taking it game by game, it's like, all right, here's one. Now let's see if we can get two. All right, we got two. Let's see if we can get three. And I think what it speaks to, if you combine Forbes and Augustine, we'll get Bobby Portis's quote here in a second. They, they basically said, all right, we're not going to have any more mental lapses. We're going to try to avoid mental lapses. We're going to treat every game like a playoff game. And we're, we know that maybe we're not as good defensively as we've, we have been in the past and that we're learning new things under Coach Bud. But we know we got to be... We got to be more aggressive early and start just laying the hammer down. And we have a good offense. I mean, the Bucks are on just a crazy pace offensively. We know we have a good offense. We just have to put it together defensively. And when we put it together defensively, we're going to be really hard to beat. So let's start now. The time is now. So here's Bobby Portis' comment. 
uh, also, which I love because the way he says just my Portis is a gem. He goes, we didn't bring an edge. We didn't bring a swag to the games Friday and Saturday and had two stinkers. They made a lot of shots. I think tonight we played with swag. I think we played with grit, played with fire. And I think that's contagious through the whole team. I would tend to agree with Bobby Portis is that that to me speaks to the flatness that I think all of us saw on TV Friday and Saturday night. And the Bucks again, kind of like, this isn't happening anymore. And are the Bucks going to lose a dumb game here or there? Yeah, it's the fucking NBA. Any given night, the team could lose something dumb. And you could end up losing to the Thunder or something just god-awful. But I don't think the Bucs want it to happen for a few weeks. I think the Bucs are determined to sort of ha- go in there, businessmen-like, and win basketball games. And they are just ready to go. And Terry Stotts did say in that piece as well that like, hey, it's it, you know it's going to take time to gel. And it's going to happen. But I, I, I think the Bucks are there. And we like we said, the window is kind of closed on that point of it's time to gel because it's been 20 games. And we should really start seeing the Bucks come together. And Mike Budenholzer didn't make really any big changes to the lineup. Dante DiVincenzo still in the starting rotation. He again struggled. I do wonder how, lo- how much longer they can go with Dante. That was probably the only drawback of this game. But everything else you had to love. Drew Holiday had a massive game, 22 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals. And on top of that, he locked down Damian Lillard. He's been a thorn in Damian Lillard's side. He held Damian Lillard to 17 points in this one. We should have bet the under on Damian Lillard's total points in this one. Uh, but yeah, he Holiday was fantastic in this game. And Giannis Antetokounmpo only played, I think, 26 minutes. I think that's great with a guy who... You know, has a bruised knee. I don't think the knee is anything to worry about. But if you get him some much-needed rest here, that's great. You have a a big schedule coming up with Indiana tomorrow, and then you're playing Cleveland for two games. And that Indiana game matters too. And if you lose to Indiana, then it's kind of like one step forward, two steps back. Because Indiana's in your division. Indiana's in your conference. And Indiana, I know, will want to set the tone against the Bucs because, you know, they could meet in the playoffs. And there's still that Malcolm Brogdon angle. And I think that matters to Indiana, mostly to Brogdon. But I know he's probably telling his Pacer team, and yeah, I'd like this one. So it's important for the Bucs to kind of establish their dominance against the Central Division, which I think is a little better than it's been in years past. Like, I, I don't think the Bulls are slouches. They can't play any defense, but offensively, they're pretty good with Billy Donovan. And they're a fringe playoff team. Cleveland, fringe playoff team. They're, Cleveland's not going to be easy. They're, they're not good on the road, but they're a good home team. And so the Bucs have to play them twice in Cleveland this weekend. Those aren't going to be easy games for Milwaukee. And so I think what... The last two games, and then today, the last the games on Friday and Saturday, plus what happened Monday night, I think it all equates to the Bucks know they can't take days off. And when they have a game, they have to bring it every fucking night. And you cannot flip the switch as easy as you could last year for a variety of reasons. The team is different. They're trying new things. And the Bucks have a target on their back. More than they did last year, more than they did the year before. No one's getting surprised by Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks. They know what they're getting out of the Bucks. So again, this was a great win for Milwaukee. Hopefully they can follow it up with a great win against Indiana on Wednesday night. And if they don't, well, 
we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get there. All right, let's wrap up the show with Marquette. So Marquette Golden Eagles play this afternoon. They play at four o'clock against Butler. It's the first sort of early game I think we've seen out of the Big East. For somebody like myself, who is a Marquette fan and a blogger podcaster who talks about Marquette, it's an inconvenient time. Uh, I'm finishing up work. That really isn't a problem. You know, whatever. I can have the game on as I'm typing on my keyboard in a spreadsheet, having the game sort of on. But the problem really lies with the second half of the game because I typically go to the gym after work. Like usually that's sort of my process and I have something going on at seven tonight, a church class, whatever. So I don't necessarily have as much time as I usually do. So it's not a situation where I could watch the Marquette game and then go work out at six o'clock and say, all right, I'll get my workout in at six. So obviously I was like, well, I got to think about this and I basically was like, all right, well, if I get up early and work out, maybe I can, you know, watch the game and be be fine. Well, whatever. It didn't work out. But I don't really care. And I I'm kind of just feeling very ambivalent towards Marquette. And someone had that, uh, I think his name is One Good Thing on Twitter, CJ. He said it the worry for Marquette is not necessarily that they're bad, it's that people just will stop caring. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I kind of was mad that CJ had that take. Like, good on him. He's a, I don't follow him, but he's a guy on Marquette Twitter. And I, I was kind of mad that he had that take because I was like, that's how I fucking feel. Like, I, I just, after that game against St. John's, I was like, God, I just don't care anymore, man. Like, I just, it doesn't, like, all this shit just doesn't matter. And I, that might make me a bad fan. But I just, I don't know how many times you can just take this. Like, every game is the fucking same. Like, it, it it's ironic that it's Groundhog's Day, but it's literally like Groundhog's Day. Like, every day seems to be the same with Marquette. Where, hey, start off slow. Then figure your shit out in the second half. Make it a close game. Then lose at the last second. Like, yeah, a case could be made that Marquette should have beat both Providence and St. John's. And probably DePaul, too. There, there's no reason Marquette should have lost the last three games. Yet they have. And they've started out slow in every one of those games. And so you ask yourself, why should I invest my time in this team? Because I know these guys are trying hard. I'm not saying they don't care. Because that that's not what it is. But it's a question of like why it, they're just bad. And they shouldn't be bad. And I think that's the part of it, right? Like if this team was filled with guys, transfers, walk-ons, and it was a rebuilding year, quote unquote, I think all of us would be like, all right, we'll take what we can get. And we know that next year will be better because these guys will be a year older. And maybe we'll start to see some signs of promise as the year kind of progresses. And yeah, they do have some young guys on this team. I, I've had friends who've said, oh, they're rebuilding, Charlie. No, they're not fucking rebuilding. Marcus Howard was, yeah, a stalwart and a guy that was relied on a lot. But you have leadership with Jamal Kane and Greg Elliott. And DJ Carton might be a sophomore, but DJ Carton played meaningful minutes for Ohio State last year. And Dawson Garcia was a McDonald's All-American. And Justin Lewis is a stud. Now, didn't play against uh, St. John's because of a lower leg injury. So 
I think that there's no sense of saying this is a rebuilding year. That's bullshit. Especially when you've beat a team like Wisconsin and you held it close against UCLA. So don't give me that. It'd be Creighton, right? Like, fuck that. So I just don't know how much longer I can be committed to Marquette with Steve Wojciechowski as the coach. Because Steve Wojciechowski can recruit. He can get guys to the university. But when they're there, he doesn't know how to coach. And it's been a problem for a long time. And I don't know how much longer Marquette can go and say, all right, we we just have to move on. And if you have to move on and hire a guy that maybe isn't to Wojo's stature, maybe uh, maybe is a you know really talented Horizon League coach or really talented Mac coach, for example, just thinking out loud here, and not hiring like a Nate Oates. I think everybody would love Nate Oates from Alabama. And I don't know if Nate Oates would come to Marquette. Do it. Just you maybe just need that change of pace. And maybe that coach is not as good of a recruiter as Steve Wojciechowski. But he can hire assistant coaches that are good recruiters. I guess I look at like Mike Young from Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's damn good. And Virginia Tech, basically like Marquette, had Buzz Williams sort of leave abruptly. Had Buzz Williams go to Texas A&M. And Mike Young was from Radford. Radford, Big South, good program. But not necessarily a... Steve Wojciechowski came from Duke, right? Like Radford is just another university. They make the tournament, but they're a 16 seed, they're they're 15 seed, whatever. Mike Young has built Virginia Tech into a winner in two years. And you look at what Steve Wojciechowski has done. He's brought a bunch of guys to Marquette, but they haven't finished. So I look, and and I know the grass is always greener, But it's just a frustrating thing to keep doing this every year, to keep having these same conversations about Marquette. And I think that's why people don't care is because it is the same fucking song and dance every year with the Golden Eagles. And if we saw improvement, if we saw things that Wojo was doing differently, if we saw that they were able to break a press, if they were able to find a ball handler that could actually manage a team. I think there would be a lot less people being kind of angry at Wojo, but it hasn't happened. And the mishandling of the Housers was terrible and wasn't really covered maybe the way it should have been. Now, Ben Steele's a good reporter. Matt Velasquez, great reporter. But they didn't necessarily, well, it was a great reporter. Matt, Matty isn't working anymore. But anyways, they they didn't do a good enough job, I think, of really exposing how bad that was. And the pressure was not put on. Because Marquette is a meaningful team with a national championship, but they're not a Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Indiana, where I think if the Hauser story was at one of those schools, it would have been a massive story in college basketball. But because it's Marquette, it wasn't as big. And I am just waiting for the Jeff Goodman tweet of, hey, Marquette people are starting to wonder if Steve Wojciechowski is the right guy for this job. So yeah, maybe Marquette can't afford uh, Nate Oates of the world, but maybe look at someone who could be like Mike Young of Virginia Tech and say, all right, who from a mid-major around the Midwest can deliver a winner for us 
and make our fans care again and make our boosters spend money again. Because right now, no one cares about Marquette. And that's a problem. All right, that does it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow. We will probably do some college hoops because both Marquette and Wisconsin are in action. Uh, we'll try to watch both. Like I said, I'll, I'll figure it out. My DVR will probably be working over time. Uh, we will talk. I, I want to talk about Matt LaFleur's comments about uh, maybe giving up the offensive keys. I don't think that's a good idea for him. Uh, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll definitely put that out. Who knows? Maybe a Chuck's Corner, maybe a little ticket story time uh, as well, or a National Media Murph report. Who knows where the courtside Karen story is going today? Because uh, that one's a while. We blogged about that. You can read that on SoTap WI. All right. Take care, Tavers. Have yourself an excellent Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.